0: Well, it is summer and it is hot outside, but we are heating things up inside. This summer, we have been traveling down a sermon series all about taking road trips with God. And sure, some road trips we plan for and we pack food for and we get a collection of our favorite tunes for. But quite often, a road trip with God can be unexpected and take us down paths we could have never imagined. So let's get a move on. Let's grow with God. Let's see where God wants us to go. His path can reveal the sweetest blessings of all, or even a new beginning. That's today on the podcast. Hey, it's Marisa from the Tower Hill production team. Thank you so much for listening into our Tower Hill podcast. Whenever or wherever you're listening, we hope this podcast blesses you, and we hope that you feel free to share it with someone that you know so that they'll feel blessed too. We're in our fourth part of our summer series called On the Road Again, Finding God in the Unexpected Journeys. And today we have a special guest preacher, our very own Chris Pete, exploring how a detour with God can be a new beginning. So let's check it out right now.
1: Good morning and welcome again. My name is Chris Pete. Some of you who come to this service regularly might be thinking, wait a minute, because usually I'm praying and Jason's preaching. Um, But uh, I've been a member here at Tower Hill for about a year and a half. Um, I have been to seminary, and I have passed all my ordination exams. I'm under care here at Tower Hill and uh, in Monmouth Presbytery, and I'm here this morning, and I'm pleased to be able to bring the word to you. We're in the middle of a sermon series for the summer called On the Road Again, Finding God in Life's Unexpected Journeys. And today, you know, we've we've got this... uh, kind of song theme that has gone on in some of the first services, right? On the Road Again, that Willie Nelson song, it's like the classic meme of the summer road trip, the family packing into the car and you know, heading out on the road and hearing the song. But while I was preparing for this message, I had a different song in my head for some reason. It's Bob Seeger's song called Turn the Page. The chorus starts out with, here I am on the road again, and ends up with, there I go, turn the page. And I think the reason that was sticking in my mind is because I think some of our journeys are an opportunity to turn a page in our lives. Um, I think that's in our scripture this morning, but it's also, um, I have this in in my personal life. Um, As a young child, my family moved around a lot. We moved 13 times before I was 12 years old. And uh, But we settled down. Um, When I started junior high school, we were in the south suburbs of Chicago and lived there for, I think, about 11 years. I went to junior high, high school, started college while I was there, Um, developed this weird pattern where I didn't finish college in four years, so I didn't finish at that time, but um, it was stability. And I'm grateful for having had that. We had a church that we were members of there, And also around that time, about 13 years old, maybe, I first asked Jesus into my heart. Um, But honestly, I had no idea what that meant. Uh, As a teenager, I was really good at compartmentalizing. I think a lot of teenagers are maybe good at this, where they have a different role, they play in a different context. So I had the way I behaved at school, and I had the way I behaved at church, and I had the way I behaved in the youth group and had the way I behaved at home, and I would use that role, whatever was appropriate, for the situation that I was in. And then, after I I finished college, or high school, and was starting college, my father experienced a call to ministry, and went to seminary. I was away at school at the time. And I came back, and I think shortly after the time that I came back from the first year of college, My parents sold our house, we lived in a rented house for a little while, and then we moved on to the campus of the seminary. And by this time, I actually wasn't even participating actively in a church. I didn't think about God at all. I wasn't going to church at all. I was playing in a couple of bands, enjoying the music. I love that. I had a decent job for not having a college degree. And my family fully expected that when they moved, because my father got a call in Brooklyn, New York. My family fully expected when they moved that I was staying in Chicago in this other life. But deep inside, I had this urge. I wanted to come back to God. I wanted to come back to the church and get closer to Jesus. And so I saw the opportunity of the move as a chance for a fresh start, a chance to turn the page in my life and come back to God, come back to church. So I announced to my family that I was going to move with them. And we came to New York. And probably the best thing that happened from coming to New York is I met my wife, Karen, in Brooklyn. So that was not what I expected from the journey. But it has been a huge blessing. And Karen is an amazing inspiration to me in the strength of her faith through many things that she's been through as we've been married, that we've both been through as we've been married. So I think we all sometimes have that urge, though, that we want to feel closer to God. Maybe not in as dramatic a fashion as what I experienced, uh, but at times we all feel like we're not close enough to God. We want to be closer to God. I've heard people say, I wish I felt closer to God. And I think that our modern culture sort of does this to us, right? There's this idea that there's just that one more thing that we could get that would make us happy. If I could only get that house that I want, or if I could only get that shiny new car, or if I could get back in shape, then I'll be happy. And we always want the quick fix, right? We want the the way to get the thing we want with the least amount of effort. I remember Back in the 80s, there was this poster that I saw somewhere. It was a five-car garage with shiny sports cars in every bay. And the poster at the bottom says, the one who dies with the most toys wins. Right? I don't know if anybody remembers that. I think they got it a little bit wrong. My version of that would be the one who dies with the most books. And my wife can attest to that, the bookshelves all over our house. And this morning, at the 8 o'clock service, Jay Nichol told me his version is the one who dies with the best tan. (laughs) But at the end, the one who dies with the most whatever it is still dies. And I think that this desire for something else is really an expression of the desire to be closer to God, and that really that need that people feel and they're trying to fill is the need for a relationship with God. And I think we feel this even in the church. You know, we sit in the pew and we say to ourselves, oh, if only, if only I could pray like the pastor prays, or if only I had um, the gift of caring and I could, uh, you know, be ministering to people in their time of need, or if only I could let go and let the Spirit take control and raise my hand in worship then I'd be happy. Then I'd feel closer to God. And I think the trap here is that we're comparing ourselves to everyone around us rather than focusing on our own relationship with God. And our scripture has something to say about that. We're going to talk this morning about Jacob. Jacob was the second born of a set of twins, his older brother Esau was the older twin, obviously. They were children of Isaac and Rebekah. And Esau was a hunter. And Jacob was a more quiet, sort of a homebody type of person. But Jacob was a rather unsavory character, too. He did some things that were kind of underhanded. One day, Esau came back from hunting, and he was hungry. Jacob had been cooking. And so Esau came in and smelled the food and said, oh, I'm so hungry. Can I have some of that stew? And Jacob said, sure. Sell me your birthright, and I'll give you some of the food." And wouldn't share the food until Esau agreed to sell his birthright. And then time passed, and their father was starting not to be able to see so well, and Jacob dressed up as his brother Esau. Esau was a hairy man, and he put fleece on his arms so there would be hair there. He wore a robe that Esau wore so he he would smell like his brother and went into his father pretending to be Esau so he could get the blessing of the firstborn son. And as a result of this, Esau got very angry and started plotting to murder Jacob. When their mother heard about it, she went to the father, Isaac, and said, we have to send Jacob away because Esau is going to kill him. And so they decided they would send him to their mother to her family, Rebecca's family, to look for a wife. And that's where our scripture picks up this morning. Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Now, this is not a special place in any way. This just is where he happened to be When the sun was setting, it was time to sleep. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac, he's saying, I know who you are, I know your family. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring, and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south and all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you." He's promising friendship, like Jason said a moment ago. He's promising to go with Jacob to watch over him, and to protect him, and to bring him back. Then Jacob woke up from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid, and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, And he took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in the way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Essentially here, he says, if you keep the promise you've made to me. And Jacob makes a promise in return. He says, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give one-tenth to you. So here's Jacob, he's on this journey, he's going to look for a wife. That's what he knows, because his parents didn't tell him about Esau plotting to kill him and that they're really trying to preserve his life. And he meets God, and God starts out saying, I know you. I know what you've done, I know where you're going, and you know what? I'm going to make this promise to you, and I'm going to go with you, and I'm going to protect you. I am going to be your friend. And Jacob makes promises in return. And I think some of the things that Jacob says here are ideas that we can leverage for how we can feel closer to God if we want to feel closer to God. Or if you don't have a relationship with God at all, these are things that you could do to explore. First thing is that Jacob trusts God to follow through on God's promise. And that's just straightforward what it is. We've talked about that in the other sermons in this series, that sometimes we have to trust. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's hard. Little things, like Jason said, easier. Bigger things might be harder to trust, but we need to trust. And then the, the three main points that Jacob makes in his pledge. He says, the Lord shall be my God. That's a pledge of devotion. So he's adopting God. He's he's willingly entering into the relationship with God. And how do we do that in our lives? By realizing it's not a competition with anyone else. It's about our personal relationship with God. And by forming disciplines, you know, a relationship is a relationship, just like a relationship with your friends, where you spend time together, you talk, you do things together, You confide in one another. You comfort one another. You encourage one another. Well, the relationship with God is very similar. And and the crux of it is that we need to spend time developing the relationship with God. We can do that by spending time in God's word, by spending time in prayer, by spending time participating in the community of God's people like we have right here. And then the second point that Jacob makes is about remembrance. He sets up the rock that he used as a pillow, as a pillar, to remember what happened to him. And I think we can use that same technique, remembering the things that God has done for us over the course of our lives, shows us that God is with us, that God meets us where we are and comes with us on our journey. I have a list of things that God has done in my life, um, from miraculous healings to one particular miraculous healing, um, to the move that I described at the beginning of this sermon, to weird ways that jobs kind of fell into my lap. It's a lot of things that God has done for me. And remembering those things over time makes me aware of how God has been with me, Richard Foster wrote a book about prayer. It's called Prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home. And the real point of the book is it talks about many different ways of praying, which is really nice. And I would recommend the book highly to anyone. But there's one place where he talks about the fact that God is everywhere, but we are always only in one place. So for God to bless us, God has to bless us in the place that we are, because that's the only place that we are at that moment. But over time, as God blesses us in different ways at different times, we can see a pattern that develops. And if we could only realize that God has been with us all that time and that everywhere we are is holy ground because God is with us, That leads us into an awareness of God's presence and a new way of praying by existing in God's presence and knowing that we're existing in God's presence. I think that's so powerful. And another way to remember is to um, keep a journal. If you are praying for things, keep a journal of everything you pray for. And then keep a journal of how you get responses to those prayers. And over time, you'll see this pattern develop. And finally, the, third, the fourth point here, but the, the third in, in Jacob's pledge, is about gratitude. It's about giving back. And we can give back by sharing love with others, but by giving in service to the church of our time and our talents, giving money to worthy causes, including the church. Sharing God's love as it overflows in our heart, sharing it with others. What I'm trying to say here, though, is that there is not really any secret sauce to getting closer to God. There's no quick fix. There's no pill, the magic pill that we can take that's going to bring us closer to God. It requires putting in the time. One thing I would suggest, though, is if you have the desire to get closer to God, maybe the first thing to do is to pray for God to fuel that and to help you to get closer to God. So what would it look like if we all decided to do this, if we all wanted to turn a page in our lives? We wanted to stop comparing ourselves to other people and focus on our relationship with God. I think inevitably we would start to see ourselves as God sees us. And we would start to see other people as God sees them. We would start to see the whole creation as God sees it. So my challenge to you is what one thing will you do? What page will you turn? What one step will you take to get closer to God as time passes now? I pray that whatever step you choose to take, God will bless you and draw you closer, such that God's love would overflow within you so that you can't help but share it with others and get back on the road again to the glory of God.